remember the realization, and really, you know, it was a bit of a revelation for me, um, I guess, spending time on this, working out what it really means, what abundant life really is. But it became clear to me that abundant life isn't a, doesn't come from the outside in. It comes from the inside out. And it's all about what's on here, on the inside. It's all about having a vibrant, meaningful, fullness of life in Jesus Christ. And the circumstances and the people that we encounter outwardly do not ultimately determine how we must respond from, from the inside out. Now, I'm also a realist, and um, I know that we do get knocked around. Uh, we, we, we get knocked about by life and the terrible things that can happen. And I don't judge anyone for struggling when bad things happen or taking time to find their inner peace when their world turns upside down. But there is a strength. There is a, an inner fortitude and even an inner joy that is part of our Holy Spirit-filled inner man that will allow us to come back, will allow us to be healed, will allow us to be restored. Sometimes it takes a while, and that's okay. But that doesn't mean we just also sit back and, and, and just cop things, cop everything that comes against us passively either. And this is where my message from this, for this morning comes in. And I have a scripture that I want to share with you this morning that, that many of you would really know well, but I believe it's one of the most powerful declarations that the Bible makes. And I want to set the scene for you. Um, I spoke to the youth in Ballina a couple of weeks ago uh, about this, and I said that this epic story that's in the Bible far exceeds any of their Xbox games, any of their, you know, the, the shoot 'em up games, the supernatural theme games that, that they play on their computers. And what's more, it's the truth. It's not a game, it's reality. And in Revelation 12, there's, a, there's this cataclysmic war that erupts in the spiritual realm, in, in heaven, um, to be exact. And the devil, who's now a, a fallen angel um, and, and described as a dragon, um, he, and he also has this entourage of, of evil angel, angels who have, who have joined forces with him, um, are part of this... Um, this war, but also on the other side there's Michael and all the archangels and all his good and holy uh, angels and they fight the dragon and in the end the dragon and his demons are thrown onto the earth. Now, you know, for me I just try to get my head around that whole picture and the whole deal and I think, you know, it does kind of remind me of, of um, some of these Xbox games that the kids play but it's far more powerful and real. It's, it's real, it's not a game. You know, and, and so the devil and all his troops get cast down onto the earth. And we wonder why we have a few issues around the place, you know, in our lives. Revelation 12.10 says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. And then we have this powerful scripture in verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to the death. Now I want to challenge you this morning with this thought. A thought about the importance and the power of having a testimony. 
A testimony is vital if, in, in being an overcomer in life. But I'll, I want to come back to that important issue in just a moment. The first thing that makes us overcomers, overcomers of the accuser of the brethren, who is the devil, who is the dragon himself, and all his devilish schemes, the, the first thing that makes us an overcomer is the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the blood of the Lamb. And, you know, Deb's already mentioned, you know, we're, we're so close to Easter and, and talking about the cross. Well, I'm, I'm kind of flowing in with, with where Deb has started out this morning, talking about the cross. I'm talking about the blood of Jesus. You know, I don't think we preach enough about the blood of Jesus Christ. Um, in one sense, you know, in this church, we do, we do speak about the blood as we celebrate communion. But I don't think in, in, in the church as a whole, generally speaking, the church does not talk enough about the blood of Jesus and the blood of the Lamb. And maybe it's because blood in the natural sense is kind of awkward um, to talk about and to think about, but we need to be talking about and we need to be preaching about the blood of Jesus Christ. Margaret Cox, uh, who was a dear friend of Venice and I um, in, uh, in Brisbane, she was a wonderful Christian counsellor that Venice and I worked alongside for, for a long time and, and it was a privilege to do that. And she's now gone into glory. She's in heaven. Um, but she gave me some very specific advice when we came down to this, when we left the counselling department up there in Brisbane and came back to this area. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget it. This is really probably the only bit of advice that she gave me, and I was open to any advice that she had. But she said, never stop preaching about the blood. Never stop preaching about the blood. And I've come to appreciate the power that is in the blood of Jesus. And even as I speak about the blood now, and as I've been preparing my message about the blood of Jesus, I just feel like there's a stirring, you know, in the spirit realm. There's a there's a, an establishing. It's like that um, that big timber beam that, that Deb's talking about in a house. It's like it, it's just, you know, just reinforced again um, in the spirit realm that this is the foundation of our faith, the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, a lot of the older, older Pentecostals Love those old songs and those old choruses about the blood. And I'm talking about songs that were, you know, in the Pentecostal circles about 20, 30, 40 years ago. Uh, and, you know, there are simple, powerful declarations about the blood of Jesus. And they became anthems, you know, in, in their own right, in, the, in that period of time, in that season of time. And, and they've remained in the hearts of many other, uh, of those older Christians. And I'm not just talking about the Pentecostals too. Like, you only have to read some of the old... Wesleyan and Methodist hymns, you know, that, have, that were written hundreds of years ago. And you'll find beautiful, powerful declarations about the cross and about the blood of the Lamb. And coming up to Easter, it's a great time to stir our hearts again uh, and our soul with these foundations to our faith. I just want to um, just share a couple of things about the blood before I move on. I want to talk about what it means to have a testimony but I want to talk about first about the blood. I want to put the blood where it belongs as, as the, um, the high thing. In Ephesians 1 verse 7 it says, We have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. You know, someone said that good moral living, being a good person will keep you out of jail, but it's only the blood of the lamb that will keep you out of hell. You can be as good and live a good life as you like. And there are a lot of good people out, out there, a lot of good people living a good life. And it'll keep them out of trouble and it'll keep them out of jail, but it won't keep them out of hell. It's only the blood of the Lamb that will keep them out of hell. 
You know, we, we, were, we were all heading for hell, every one of us, but Jesus redeemed us. He bought us back. He paid the price for our salvation and it cost him his life. He purchased us back with his own blood. That is what redemption means. When something is redeemed, it means it's bought back with a price and the price was the blood. 1 Peter 1.18 says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. You know, people try to redeem their lives in all kinds of ways. They try to redeem their lives through money and possessions. They try to redeem their lives through you know, New Age spirituality or Eastern religion or whatever. You know, they try to redeem themselves by, by living a good life and by accomplishing things, you know, high, high achievers, you know, uh, and they try to redeem themselves in life. And the list is endless of man's attempts to redeem himself because everyone deep down knows that they fall short. There's just this inner thing within us because we're born into sin We're born into a fallen world. We're born, really, with a sense of unworthiness. And everyone has this inner longing to be redeemed. And so people try and find all different ways to do that. But the only way of redemption is for a perfect man, a sinless man, a pure lamb, to become a sacrifice for us all. It's a mystery, but it's the most powerful spiritual truth that our faith is founded on. So firstly, the blood, our redemption is in the blood. Secondly, the blood has reconciled us to the Father. In Ephesians 2 verse 13 it says, But but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have now been brought near by the blood of Jesus, by the blood of Christ. Because of the shed blood of Jesus, there is no longer any separation between us and Father God. And that's what I love it when we can all stand here together you know, gathered together as as people who love God, worshipping Him. You know, I just loved, I just enjoyed, I just loved being in worship this morning. Dan and you guys, you're just awesome in in, in leading us into that place. And I just felt so refreshed and so renewed in, in just standing in that place of worship. But because there's no separation. Like, I just felt like I was just standing right there in before the throne of God. I could see all these angels and all these other people, you know, you guys as well, just standing around about me, but really it was, I was just focusing on Jesus and there's no separation. There's, there was no veil. You know, when, when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, at that moment, the veil that was in the temple that separated the people from the presence of God, it was torn in two. And that was no little flimsy, little, um, you know, lacy kind of a, a veil. This was, this was centimetres thick, this veil. Uh, centimetres thick and supernaturally it was torn in two. No man had anything to do with it. And when that happened, Jesus, um, when that happened, you know, when he died on the cross, when he shed his blood, when that veil was torn in two, he paid the price for our sins and we were instantly forgiven. All of a sudden, we were reconciled. We were brought near to God. I found this little story that, that I feel explains this perfectly. One night, Charles Berry, the guy by the name of Charles Berry, a minister, now get this, a minister who didn't um, believe in the gospel. Now apparently there are such ministers 
And, and I was thinking about this, this story, and I thought, yep, I know of a minister in Sydney in a traditional church, I don't know if he's still there, um, who actually didn't really believe in the gospel. He didn't really believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And uh, so there are those ministers out there that believe that. Anyway, this minister, uh, he was visited by this, this woman who was deeply concerned about her mother. And she said, my mother is dying. Please come and get her in. Please come and get her in. And he, and he understood this to mean that she needed words of comfort um, to face her maker. So he, he was worried what he would say. You know what? I'd be really worried what I would say too if I didn't believe in the gospel. I'd be worried as a minister. What was I going to say to someone who was dying? And when he arrived at her bedside, he told her that she had lived a good life. And you've got nothing to fear because God is love. And her words brought her no comfort. She, it, they brought her no hope. The pastor became desperate and all he could remember was a hymn that his mother used to sing to him when he was a boy. So he began to sing this hymn. It says, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. Dear dying lamb, the precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. Ever since my faith, by faith I saw the stream thy flowing wounds supply. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. When this poor... I knew you'd have that going. When this poor, lisping, stammering tongue lies silent in the grave, then in a nobler, sweeter song I'll sing thy power to save. These are the kinds of words and the, the inspiration and the, the, the things that the Spirit of God was speaking into, into, into people's lives that they would write these songs and, and, and others would sing them and declare them. And so this, this minister shared this, the words of this song with this, this woman. And seeing the woman's face brighten, he falteringly related what he had been taught in his youth, that Christ took the sinner's place on the cross. And in those moments, the dying woman found by trusting Jesus as her saviour, um, by presenting the gospel to her, the minister got her in. The next Sunday, he told his congregation about his experience and he concluded, not only did it get her in, it got me in too. And from now on, I'll preach Christ and him crucified. We could do nothing better than every Sunday to get up and declare Christ crucified and him risen. This morning as I talk about the blood, I'm preaching Christ and him crucified. I'm preaching on the power of redemption, the power of our testimony. Actually, I could talk all day about the refining power of the blood, the cleansing power of the blood, the healing power of the blood. You know, in this message, this is the message of Easter, but it's the message of the gospel and the message of life. 
But just to finish off about the blood this morning, I want to share another little story with you. We've all heard about uh, Louis Pasteur uh, in our, our days at school. Uh, but Pasteur had a close physician colleague by the name of Dr. Felix Rue. Now, this physician's granddaughter had died of black diphtheria. And Dr. Rue, vowing he would find out what killed his granddaughter, looked himself, uh, locked himself in his laboratory for days. He emerges with a, a fierce determination to prove with his colleagues, with his colleague Louis Pasteur, that the germ theory was more than just a theory. The medical association had disapproved of Pasteur and had succeeded in getting him exiled. But, and he was in Paris, he was living in Paris, but he actually, he was exiled from their community, but he actually moved just out of, uh, just out of Paris and continued. He hid in the forest and he erected a laboratory there, uh, and he continued his forbidden research on, on germs. Twenty beautiful, I'm sorry if you're a horse lover here, you're not going to like this. Twenty beautiful horses were led out into the forest to this impoverished laboratory. Scientists and doctors and nurses came to watch the experiment. Rue opened a steel vault and he took out a large pail full of black diphtheria germs. There are enough germs in that pail to kill everyone in France. The scientists went to each horse and swabbed its nostrils, tongue, throat and eyes with the deadly germs. Every horse except one developed a terrific fever and died. Most of the doctors and scientists wearied of the experiment, you know, all the horses were dying and they did not, most of them didn't remain uh, for what they thought would be the inevitable death of that last horse. And for several days that, that last final horse lingered, lying pathetically on the ground. While um, Dr. Rue and Pasteur and others were sleeping in, the, uh, in, the cot, in cots in the stables nearby, they ordered the, the, uh, the, 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 the guy on, on duty to, who was watching the horse, um, he said that he had been instructed to awaken them Waken the scientists if there was any change to the horse, any change in the temperature of the horse. And at 2am in the morning, the horse's temperature showed a half a degree decrease. And so the orderly, the, the guy looking over the, over the horse, uh, went and, and wakened uh, Dr. Rue. By morning, the thermometer had dropped another two degrees. By that night, the fever had entirely gone and the, and the horse uh, stood up and was able to, to, to eat and to drink. Then Dr. Rue struck that beautiful horse a death blow between the eyes. The scientist drew all the blood from the veins of the animal that he could get uh, that had developed the black diphtheria that had overcome it. The scientists drove as fast as they could to the municipal hospital in Paris. And they forced their way past the, um, the superintendents and the guards and everyone that was there. They went into a ward where there were 300 babies who had developed black diphtheria and waiting to die. With the blood of the horse, they forcefully inoculated every one of those babies, except for three, all the rest of the babies survived and completely recovered. They were saved by the blood of an overcomer. What a powerful story. I just think that's the most powerful story about the blood. 
You know, it's, and that's a story about the natural redeeming power of the blood that contains the antibodies to that terrible infection. But how greater is the overcoming power of the blood of Jesus to cleanse and to heal those who are infected with the fatal germ of sin. You know, that beautiful horse was brutally sacrificed so that 300 babies could live. And how many countless other people have now been saved from death since then because of that great scientific breakthrough. You know, Jesus was brutally killed on the cross of Calvary so that we could live and have eternal life. His blood has saved us from spiritual death. Which brings me to the second part of my message. So in Revelation 12:11 it says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. You know the blood of Jesus avails for everyone. There is not one person throughout every generation of history who has been excluded from the grace of God and the power of the blood of Jesus. But not everyone has accepted this gracious gift. And so not everyone is able to testify to salvation in the, by the blood of the Lamb. So what is a testimony? A testimony is a spoken or written, it's spoken or written evidence or, or proof of something. The true meaning of a testimony is that we are witnesses. It's a witness to something or someone. And I, I think it's really interesting in Hebrews um, 11 verse 1, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. They had evidence and substance to their faith. And so they had a good testimony. And some people might think a good testimony is all about, you know, how once I was a, a sinful person, a terrible sinful person. I used to be a drug addict. I used to be a womanizer. I used to be an axe murderer. And now I'm a, you know, a, a, a God-fearing saint. But if we're going to overcome the devil's strategies towards us, because he wants to rob, kill and destroy from our lives, if we want to be overcomers in that way, we're going to need a far better story than something about ourselves, aren't we? You know, what really, what's that going to do, bring in a story about ourself uh, to the devil? A testimony should never center on ourselves. A testimony should always be centered on Jesus Christ and the power of his salvation. And here's our challenge this morning, that if you want to be an overcomer in life, if you want to break through the darkness that is sometimes overwhelming, then you have to know what your testimony is. You have to own your own testimony in Christ. And it's no good relying on the testimonies of others. You know, you can't rely upon the testimony of your wife or the testimony of your husband or the testimony of your parents. You know, you have to have your own testimony. Every one of us must have our own witness to the saving power of Jesus Christ in our life. Because the devil can never refute your own personal revelation and the testimony of God's goodness and grace in your life. When you have that substance and that evidence within, nothing can rob you of that. And no lie of the devil can ever take it away. You know, when I sense doubt or unbelief trying to come and rob me of my joy, or when I feel a bit discouraged or frustrated, 
then straight away I'm able to bring back to remembrance that, that moment that I had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And I felt his overwhelming love towards me to the point that I had to get down on my knees in tears, trying the best I could to receive it because it was overpowering and overwhelming because I knew I didn't deserve it. I knew I had no right to expect any good thing from God, but his love was overwhelming. It was overpowering. And my testimony is not about me. My testimony is about the overwhelming love and grace of God about Jesus. And he walked into a hotel room in 1986 when I was on my own, having spent three days with a bunch of Christians that I'd never met prior to that weekend. But in that moment, it became all about him. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, that's our testimony right there. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You know, the power to overcome is directly linked with our ability to make that awesome confession that the blood of Jesus Christ has saved me. The blood of Jesus has redeemed me. The blood of Jesus covers me. The blood of Jesus washes me. And I want to encourage you to make that confession regularly. I want to encourage you to to bring clarity to your own testimony. Now, we need to be clear on what we believe and why we believe it. That's our evidence. That's our substance of faith that the devil cannot deny. And just a final thought about that last bit of Revelation 12.11, where it says, they did not love their lives to the death. Now, my understanding of this verse is is, is the truth. Well, it brings the truth. And the revelation that when we accept Jesus Christ as Lord, there is a dying to ourselves. The only scripture that I can remember having to learn off by heart at Bible College was Galatians 2.20. And it says this, and we were tested on this as well, this scripture. And it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so there's a recognition that our life is not our own. It's been bought with a price. And the price was the blood of the Lamb. Now I live for Christ. There's also a sense that we are called to be courageous and brave as we face the darkness of this world. And who knows, our world is getting darker by the day. Even to the point, you know, where we face, we may face death. And our victory is that this life that we live right now is but a shadow of the resurrection life that we will live when we leave this earthly body behind. And I have to admit, the older I get and that sense that the closer I get to heaven, the more real it becomes. The more real resurrection life becomes. Romans 8.11 says, But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and that's the spirit of resurrection power. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The only way that we cannot love our lives to the death is if we know we have something greater to believe for. And that far greater thing is resurrection life. The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead 
dwells in your mortal body. It's eternal. It never, we never lose that. We never, it never goes away. Our life continues on forever if we have the resurrection life of Christ within. What an amazing testimony that is. That we can testify to the blood of Jesus shed for us. And we can testify to the resurrection power of God and the Holy Spirit within. That eternal life that we've been given as a gift. If you don't have that testimony already, and as I look around here, I think most, I know most of you, um, I would say that most of you do. But if you don't have that testimony, you only need ask God. You know, I, I went through a, a time of battling, you know, seeking to know Jesus, to get, you know, as we've been singing, to come closer, to come deeper, to really have a revelation of who he was, to know deep within that I was saved. I needed that and I battled with that for a while, for a quite a while. But in the end, at God's perfect timing, he came and he met me and I was overwhelmed, overwhelmed. That That is what, you know, pursues me always. That's why I do what I do. Because I've had that experience that, that the enemy, and the enemy can come in all kinds of different ways, but the enemy can never rob me of that revelation and that experience I've had in Christ. And you know what else? The great, the great thing is our testimony and our witness of Jesus, it grows. It unfolds day by day as we keep our eyes on him. You know, I've got a testimony of a moment, but that was, it's not just the testimony of a moment. It's the testimony of of day after day after day, of God's faithfulness leading me through my life. And it hasn't all been easy. There have been some really tough times. But Jesus has been there. And all along, I could come back and say, I know the love of God. I know the grace of God. I know my salvation in Him. And it's all about Him. And that's why here in in this church, we have Jesus written across the back of the wall there, down in Ballina, if you ever go to Ballina, we've got Jesus in big letters, not written on a wall, but all separate little, not little, big letters of Jesus because it's all about him. And my testimony and the revelation of salvation is all about Jesus. So, Father, we thank you, Lord God. You know, we are, Lord, just moments away from celebrating Easter. But Lord, this is so much bigger than just Easter. This is the message of the gospel. This is the message of life, the message of eternity, the message of salvation. And so Lord, I pray this morning that we, each one of us, can go from this place filled with gratitude, filled with the love of God, filled with that revelation of knowing who we are in Christ. It's not about us. It's not about me. It's not about my experience. It's about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And this morning we preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified, but also Him risen. Resurrection life. I pray, Lord God, that you would bring that freshness of your Spirit, just blow across us as a people, Blow across us, refresh us, Lord God, with a revelation of who you are. Lord, that we can carry this testimony of life into our everyday living. We thank you, Lord. Have your way, Lord God. Our life is no longer our own.
My life is yours, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we stand as we close this morning and uh, just worship God. Make room for you in a moment too to come for prayer if that's what you, if you um, need prayer for something before you go this morning. If we can stand with you in faith. If you don't know Jesus, I know most of you here and I know most of you do know Jesus Christ as Lord. But if that's you, if uh, you don't know him, I'd love to pray with you this morning for that revelation of how much God loves you in Jesus. Thank you, Lord.